Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European Rates Strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, John Briggs, Giles Gayo, and Theo Chapsalis. Before getting into our discussion today, I just wanted to quickly remind you to hit the subscribe button so you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available. And as another reminder, if you have any questions you'd like me to pose to our Bondcasters, please email us at bondcast at natwest.com. All right, it's been actually a fairly busy week for what was supposed to be a quiet July. Um, I guess I'll start with Europe because we had um, the ECB surprisingly present their, uh, the conclusions of their strategic review last week, which we've been waiting while well, it was delayed because of the pandemic. So we've been waiting around 18 months for that. Um, of course, they picked the one day that I've had off all year to present that. So that was great timing. So luckily, we've got Giles on today to talk to us about that instead of me. Um, I guess, Giles, first, if you could just give us an overview of um, what the main conclusions really were and, and what we learned last week. Is that we weren't all that impressed by um, by the initial announcement. So it just seemed a little bit sort of high, le- high level, um, you know, generic, a little bit ho-hum, a little bit as expected. Um, so you know, just running through those, we had a new inflation target, which is 2%, which is a nice round number. Symmetry, symmetry around that was confirmed. Then there was a whole long list of, um, of, in, of, of intentions, which I think need to be, to be fleshed out in, in more detail around um, the steps that they will take on the climate side, which I suppose we may get into in more detail in, in future parts. Um, and then there was a, a, a discussion about how there was a lot of men, a lot of reiteration of the the problems of the lower bound, which I think was a little bit interesting, just because there was a discussion about um, the need for forceful policy, which in a subsequent interview Lagarde clarified was specifically when they're dealing with a crisis, and then persistent policy, um, which seems to be the situation that we're in now, um, which then sets us up actually quite interestingly for the ECB next week. Leading me nicely into my next question, (laughs) as if you've done this before, Giles. So what does that mean for the ECB next week? (laughs) Well, that wasn't rehearsed. I just assumed that you probably had a a question prepared for that one. Yeah, what does it mean for the the ECB next week? Well, um, although, no, I mean, before last week, we thought that it was just going to be a nothing meeting, to be honest with you. We, we were really looking forward to September as the point where the decisions might need to be made, um, or at least a decision uh, in, in December, perhaps, that have set up with a, a meaningful discussion around what they were going to do with asset purchases. And it seems like what they have done is they've brought that forward. They're going to yeah, we, we now think that the, the those big changes are actually likely next week. So there's likely to be change in forward guidance. Um, we think that 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 will include some discussion about of, of what to expect in terms of asset purchases beyond March. Um, really pushing back against the you know, any any temptation that the market may have to just assume that the ECB follows what the Fed does with a lag. And. Is that why you think that we had this, um, you know, they, they, they 
published the conclusion of this review much earlier than expected. You know, they've been working on this for two years. The consistent messaging has been that this would come in August. And then they almost seem to rush it out, really, with, with not much detail, as you said, um, ahead of this July meeting. I guess that was almost the biggest surprise of the review was, was really the timing at which they uh, published it. So is that all about the Fed? You know, them, market not, them not wanting the market to interpret that they will follow the Fed, or, or is it something else? Listen, I think that you have to believe on you know, one level exactly what they said, that you know, once they're ready, why wait? Um, but I think that they were probably looking at the, you know, the way that risks were stacked up, as we have been, to be honest with you, in September and looking to get ahead of that. Now, I mean, one of the things that we've been talking about quite a bit this morning was that um, you know, they, they say that they've been learning from their mistakes over the last 10 years. They've made a lot of mistakes. When you know, I guess that the ones in 2011, 2012 are the ones that are, are most talked about. But I think actually, if you look back, 2018 was maybe also a mistake because we came off a very strong year of growth in 2017 and very high inflation expectations, which then you know, gradually were... Now, that, that momentum was lost and it was an opportunity to to sort of really you know, cement this reflation um, that you know, well I mean could could have taken place it was obviously derailed a little bit by slowing growth and you know, the whole sort of Trump trade um, problems of uh, at that time but they also stopped QE uh, they actually tapered down to zero at the beginning of 2019 and I think what they're trying to do is probably make sure that we don't expect that to happen again yeah, I think that makes sense. Well, look, we will catch up again on, on the ECB next week when we will record this after the meeting. So we'll have the luxury of, of knowing what they've done then. Um, I guess that leads me nicely onto the US um, where, John, we have had two weeks where we didn't discuss central banks and inflation, but now you're back. Uh, it seems to be the hot topic of discussion again. Um, I guess the, the best starting point will be yesterday's um, inflation print. We this, we're recording this on Wednesday, so uh, yesterday on Tuesday, Tuesday, we had another beat. Um, I think that's the third month in a row, which we've had um, a fairly big beat versus expectations on, on US inflation. Yet the market didn't actually react all that much at all. You know, it was, it was fairly contained. And, and in fact, well, Europe really was unfazed by the number. Why do you think that was? Is Does the market really believe this is transitory or is, was it something else? So I think it could be one of two things, but in the end, probably a little bit of both. And the first is that, you know, the market is giving the Fed a bit of a pass that it was continuing to be transitory. I mean, a lot of the increases we did see in the inflation side was, you know, um, reopening type surges, the used car prices going up again, lodging away from home, um, you know, some things tried, tied to, you know, reopening type things we've seen the last couple of months. Um, the second is that, the, you know, the market is saying that, okay, well, ever since um, probably mid-May, we talked about this before, when Clarida and other governors came out and started talking about how there's balanced risks to the outlook and um, trying to clip that right-hand tail of inflation. In other words, saying, yes, we've been talking about unemployment and we've got a long way to go and we're super easy, but if inflation gets very strongly out of control, you know, the capital I inflation, I used to say, um, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna clip that tail. So, you know, a combination of it's transitory, but also if it isn't transitory, you know, we have 
credibility and faith in the, or the Fed has credibility and the market has faith in the Fed that they will tighten in order to do it. Um, so that's why I think you saw in the initial reaction, you did see a bit of a curve flattening, which is, you know, our view. And then we're in that part of the cycle where the market said, OK, here's stronger inflation. We're going to price in a little bit more into the belly of the curve. See yields rise there. But pricing in more rate hikes means the long end probably does not need to sell off on a relative basis. Now, we can talk about whether three plus inflation and two percent bond yields sound investment or not. But that's a different subject. But. As far as the market reaction goes, you know, that was basically as expected. I mean, it did turn around when we had a really weak bond auction, kind of on that technical supply issue. So on the end of the day, there wasn't a ton of change on curve. We just had to move higher in yields. But I think that morning reaction to the inflation data is instructive. Um, and like I said, it's a bit of both. I think that, you know, that there is transitory, but if it's not, um, you know, we have faith that the Fed won't let this run away from us. So sticking with the Fed, because I guess aside from the inflation print, the other big um, kind of event that we're watching this week um, is Powell's semi-annual testimony. Now, um, I should tell listeners that you have the luxury of having seen the prepared remarks. We're literally recording this on Wednesday lunchtime. So um, I'm putting John on the spot a little bit because we haven't heard the Q&A yet. But from what you've read of the prepared remarks, has he that inflation print kind of changed the language from Powell? Is this a dovish uh, kind of testimony or is this really just in line with what we heard in June? Yeah, so the headlines that have come out and, you know, the early, um, thankfully, small speech that I could read quickly while uh, while Giles was speaking, um, you know, shows a little bit of a dovishness. And, and I think that, you know, if it had come out a week ago, you'd probably say, OK, ho-hum, they're still on track. You did have a pretty good inflation number yesterday, so maybe there could have been some expectations that he would flag you know, inflation a little bit in a different manner. Um, you know, I don't think that, that was consensus, but, you know, if he was going to move one way or the other, you could argue that he would go a little bit more hawkishly. Um, not our view, but there's a little bit of that out there. And he's pretty much kind of repeated basically the June statement. And I say it's a little bit dovish because he's saying the labor market, um, you know, we've made some progress. We still have a long way to go. Um, reaching substantial further progress, which is the phrase that they want to have to initiate tapering. He says it's still a bit of a ways off. They're going to continue to talk about tapering in the coming months. That's all kind of repeating what we've had. On the inflation side, you know, he did flag that long-term um, price expectations have risen, but I think that that's more not, you know, a near-term um, flag of warning, but just an observation and a congressional testimony, because he also says that inflation is seen as elevated in the coming months, but then we still see it moderating. You know, we've, we've talked a little bit about how the Fed has started to try to elongate the transitory timeline. You know, when they started this transitory language on inflation, they, they were really discussing it over the, you know, the course of several months with base effects from last year. They've trying to stretch that out lately to be supply chain issues means that inflation could be high for, you know, months, several more months, perhaps into year end. It's a question whether the market lets them get away with that kind of, you know, kind of transitory. Is it really transitory? I mean, we have inflation forecasts, again, just to remind listeners, over 3% through the first quarter of next year. So I think that's going to be a real challenge for the markets and challenge for the Fed. But, you know, combining this testimony with the, you know, what you asked about as far as the inflation number, for now, not what markets are focusing on, um, especially as, you know, the themes have moved away from inflation and more towards Delta variant, peak growth, or we passed peak growth, you know, a little bit of a kind of a summer uh, worry about the synchronized upswing that we still see and we think will probably return as a theme, but maybe not into the fall. 
Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about, really, when you said that this speech was leaning on the dovish side, is how much of that dovishness do you think is being driven by concerns around the Delta variant? I mean, it, it wasn't mentioned in the speech, but or as far as I can see from the headlines, it, it wasn't mentioned outright, but it must be something that he's thinking about. Yeah, I mean, we're recording before the Q&A, so I do think there's going to be some questions about how much of a downside risk he sees or, um, you know, or just a question about Delta variant. But I actually think that most of the questions he's going to get, which, you know, unfortunately, just because of recording time, we're not going to get to see is about higher inflation, because, um, you know, usually when you talk about political pressure on a central bank, it's stay easy, stay easy, stay easy. But interestingly, you know, the, the higher inflation readings are more in the public sphere um, than they have been, in, you know, in my, in my recent memory, certainly, you know, going back into the 2000s. Um, so, you know, is, is he going to be pressured more on that side? I think that, you know, he'll flag the Delta variant as a downside risk. Us as a team, we're worried, we're really watching more hospitalizations rather than cases in the next several weeks, I think we'll play out whether we're just going to have to, you know, finally, can we get to the point where this is, you know, more looking at it like the flu and if people aren't being hospitalized and in highly vaccinated economies, um, you know, is it overblown fear? I kind of lean that way. But I think for him, he has to flag it as just something they're watchful of um, and but not something that at this point will change the course of um, expected policy. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I'm just going to take that nicely set up opportunity to remind listeners, if you do have access to our research on agile markets, then check out our um, COVID monitor, because we've put a lot of um, kind of good charts and data in there uh, and analysis recently that looks at the um, link between case rates and and. Uh, uh, hospitalizations and mortality using the UK as a, as a case study and it you know using that as a framework then it really does look like we can be more optimistic that we're kind of getting more to a stage of where we can uh, live with COVID and and hopefully move on from this pandemic. Uh, with that then I'll move over to the UK because um, we had inflation data there as well Theo and I, again another month of uh, higher than expected um, inflation, not as big a uh, beat as it was in the US, but but still sizable. Um, so where are we now? I, I guess similar question to, to what I said to John is, is are we still on the kind of transitory side in the UK or is this higher inflation here to stay? Um, and how will the Bank of England think about this with the, another um, beat to expectations on the inflation side? Oh, hi, Imogen. Quite a lot of questions. So let's go and answer them uh, one by one. First of all, with regards to uh, the inflation numbers, it was not a 45 basis point beat as it was the case in the US, but it was a 35 basis point beat, which I think is, is still uh, quite considerable. And to be fair, this bears a lot of similarities to the April number that was also very, very strong, caught a lot of investors off guard. Other than the US, we had a fairly soft May RPI print, whereas in the US also the May print was very, very strong so you had three there in a row here we had two and one that was softer what is particularly interesting in the uk is the strength of this print so it is not that it came just from one category and clearly used cars both in the us and in the uk they have been stronger but it's not just that it is a broader set of items where we see inflation strength for example when we look at food prices there has been a rise. When we look at restaurant prices, so the catering part, there's been a substantial rise. We talk about just catering itself adds 
seven basis points to the whole, uh, you know, to the whole uh, increase. Then you have obviously other other other, other categories such as clothing, which remains uh, rock solid, um, energy related items, and, and and investors look very closely what happens to you know to um, to natural gas prices simply because they will feed into the calculations of option prices towards the end of the year. Now, you've asked on the persistence, and you've asked also what the BOE will do. And, and the key question is, of course, how persistent it is and what is the, the, the composition. And to that in mind, we think that, well, we still believe that it is going to be on the transitory side, or at least perceived to be transitory by the BOE. And this, this is important, how this will be perceived, not, not, not what it is. Um, and we think that there is some uh, hesitance to just accept it as broad-based simply because there is still the idea that, um, you know, it is a reopening. Uh, some of the data may be a bit noisy, so let's not rush to act. Clearly, the BOE, they do not want to have a repeat of what happened in 2011 with the ECB tightening prematurely and then having to cut. So this is where they're particularly cautious. Now, is this, does it look to be just, you know, an outlier? Probably no, and investors are concerned about it. This is why today, for the first time, we had a print that in the UK traded above 5%, an RPI, year-on-year -year RPI rate, which is a wow. Last time that we had RPI above 5%, well, it was around a decade ago. So it has been a very long time. now. To your final question on the BOE, how does the BOE react to that? We do have uh, member Saunders, MPC member Saunders, who speaks later this week, specifically on inflation. So we will have to dig into that. So this is this, this is one, and it will give us a good indication ahead of the August BOE meeting. I do think that the BOE still will um, mention that. We'll discuss it as 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 transitory. The point is that. Um, they, they they want to see more data, and also the BOE they do not want to stand out as the outlier that is overly hawkish relative to a Fed that seems very dovish, and well an ECB that is also relative to the BOE dovish. So they do not want to stand out as particularly hawkish. Um, what does it mean for the front end? Maybe there is some upside pressure at the front end of the curve you know, in, in terms of paying. And, and clearly, I, we do expect to see some more paying, you know. Uh, now, closer to the meeting, obviously, we will look at valuations and 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 and, and have a, a, a more a stronger view with regards to that. But I would say that for the time being, the market is right to expect some at least hawkish considerations from the side of the BOE, even if this is not directly a hawkish shift. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to throw so many questions at you there, but thank you for asking them all so answering them all so comprehensively even. So just one more, if I could, moving away, um, just to round off the podcast, away from inflation and, and central banks, because uh, the other thing I guess that's been going on in the UK this week is that we had uh, the long end syndication uh, yesterday. Now it came on a day where there was quite a lot of 
global cross-market supply. You know, it was a fairly, for July at least, it was a fairly heavy supply day in Europe. We had the EU coming to the market with two new bonds. Um, We had supply in the US, as John mentioned, and then we also had this indication in the UK. So how easily was was that digested and what kind of indication does that give you about next week's long-end supply event? Yeah, flows and the ability of the market to absorb any issuance, I think, will be key. Uh, it is interesting how easily the, the supply got absorbed. We talk about seven billion. The market rallied on 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 on, on the day of this indication. Gilts outperformed on cross market basis, so there has been genuine gilt strength. Uh, this coincided, however, uh, with coupon payment. So. Uh, it, it, it was a week of heavy coupon flows. Clearly, the DMO, they are aware of that. This is why they time these events uh, appropriately. We do have a big index extension next week, and this is going to be around 10 million a basis point. At the same time, we have the, the, the longest bond being issued, and that bond, the, 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 the 71s, that bond, uh, well, it, it, it is quite uh, you know a, a significant duration event. I do think that at least until next week, there will be some support for the guild market for duration. It's different what happens after that. And maybe after that, we have an opportunity to, you know, to, uh, to, to, to become more aggressive on the bearish side. But for the time being, there is support for UK duration because of all those index expansions. And I think that investors should definitely be cautious, especially if you want to go much short now, um, despite those low levels, because technicalities can support the market. And to be fair, supply has consistently been easily um, absorbed uh, in the UK. The other point that I would raise is that when when there is a genuine increase in rates, particularly in the UK, there is a propensity for real money to step in and buy that cheapness. So that creates a reduction in volatility at the back end of the curve. So there is also a lid with regards to how high back in yields can go okay well perhaps we'll revisit that kind of uh, discussion around bearishness next week then after these um, events are out the way uh, but i think that's everything for this week um thanks everyone for joining me again and just a reminder to the listeners if you like today's episode then please hit the like button to show your appreciation and click subscribe so you can listen to our latest episodes as soon as they're available and if you would like to pose a question to any of us uh, please reach out at bondcast.natwest.com. Thanks again. Catch up next week.